Right. Thank you. Um, it amazes me. We've got 26 letters in our alphabet. 26 letters make up all the words. So I've just had a quick Google. How many words are in our language? How many words do you think are in our language that we use? 500. I think we need to go a bit higher, higher than that. 15,000, a bit higher than that. 25,000, I'm going to take that as the last guess because if not we'll run out of time. Um, 170,000 words currently in existence that we use with 47,000 obsolete words. Now, out of all those words, if I take the ones that I've used, I don't know how many I've used here, but if you take all the words from the songs this morning and throw them up in the air and they come down in a different order, that's what I'm going to be speaking to you about this morning. Okay, so what I'm about to say, you've heard already through the words that you have been singing. And I love it because it shows me that this is really God's heart for us today. Naomi shared with me before we started the words she wanted to say. And it just kind of fits really where we're at. Telling someone to keep going when they're tired and out of ideas is the worst thing you can do. And yet it's exactly what I'm going to be saying this morning. I'm only saying it because that's where I'm at now. And I am speaking these words to myself as much as I am to anybody here. And I don't want you to think, well, it's all right, she's got it sorted. Really, I am a work in progress. And this is the progress and the work that God's doing in my life at the minute. It's not been easy to write this week with different things that are just going on. And I know some of you are in similar places with health and family, jobs, children. But this morning, I want to bring light and hope to difficult situations, to show some of God's faithfulness in how he's walked and continues to walk with me. Okay, for those of you that don't know me, I'm a primary school teacher, and I want to set the scene for you. Imagine the wettest of days. You'll walk into a train station with 27 children, some of whom have not got appropriate clothing or footwear. You get on a crowded train, which is full because of the cancellations and problems on the line further down. You're responsible for a child, and by responsible for a child, I mean attached for the day to a child that has ADHD. He cannot stand still. He can't sit still either. He's on his third chair of the year that he's wriggled around and swung on and broken. This packed train is stopped outside Earl's Court due to signal failure. And 20 minutes later, we finally get to our stop. We get off the train to discover we've missed our slot in the museum that we're going to because of all the train problems. We pass a few delightful hours wandering around the Natural History Museum, running from dinosaur to dinosaur. We've got a great day, 27 excited children. We get back to the station and the problems are still there and cancellations all over the place. The platform at South Ken is packed. Got train lines on both sides and the platform in the middle. And I am stood there with 27 wet children trying to get on a train, packed. Got the scene? 
He cannot stand still. This child is pulling me in every direction. He wants to run off. And eventually, when we got on the train, we discovered that because of the problems with misconnecting trains, we get off the train. It's still hammering down with rain. Then from Worcester Park Station back to the school where I teach is literally an uphill climb. And I am pulling. I did some serious damage to my shoulder because I am literally, come on, we've got to get there. We've got to walk. We've got to go. We get back to school an hour late because of all the problems. Parents are aware of this. But I'm literally dragging this child that is kicking and screaming just so that he can go home and that I can go to a meeting. Yes, it is a true story. Not one I've just made up. This was my first trip this year with my new class to South Kensington back in November. Staying strong in difficult times is a huge subject. And when Steve sent out the list of titles and topics from the Hebrews preach, I only got as far as this one. Words just jumped off at my the page at me, staying faithful in tough times. I thought, yeah, that's something I've had to try and do. Something I live on a day-to-day basis, I feel. Yeah, I'll do that one. Forgetting that when you commit yourself to something like that, God will test you in it even more. And God will just go, go on then. You're saying you're going to do it? Do it. This day out with my class was a day where I just wanted to get 30 people, 27 plus the helpers, back to school with a hope that somebody had learnt something and somebody had had fun somewhere. There are so many illustrations I can draw from this about tough times and discipline, which are the two areas I'm going to look at this morning. But for one minute, I want you to stop and think about what you do. And thank God that he hasn't called you to do what I do. And if he has, that he is a God that walks with you through that daily. Pete's testimony this morning, amazing. We're kind of waiting for that phone call at our school. Sam Luck and I work at the same school with Lucy Pearson. And we're kind of, someday it will come, we know that. But know that whatever your job this morning is, whether you work for pay, whether you work at home, whether you are retired and enjoying life, God walks through you, whatever it is. And the next time I have a school trip, I'll be sending you all the dates. So you can just stand with us and pray. Because I think it's something that's really important when you're responsible for that many kids on a day like that was, nah. The next trip I did, we got stuck on a bus and the head was with me. And I ended up teaching an hour and a half lesson on the bus because we're only trying to get to Wimbledon. So uh, uh, trips me, not this year, no. Sometimes life can be tough, but today's message will hopefully bring peace and encouragement, thankful hearts to a God that has been there, that will be there, and will continue to be there every day that you live. He knows what it's like and gives us strength to get through the tough times. Have I got this sorted? Not by a long shot, but I am walking with God every day in it. For those of you that are going to work it out, I am going to spell out the word trust down the side. So I'll give you that now, okay? But the T is tough times are inevitable for all of us. Don't try and think that you won't be affected. 
But this is about being prepared for when those tough times come, staying faithful in what God has called us to. Today's passage comes in two sections. So we're going to read through the first section. It's Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, and it will come up. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Sam, thank you so much for that passage you read about. For those who are thirsty and weary, come, because that's what this is about this morning. When we're losing heart, come. When we don't know which way to turn and which way to walk, come. Come to the one who knows. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So that we will not grow weary and lose heart. I'm in the process of reading 27 copies of the same story. I used to start with the top ones and work my way through the pile because I knew that the further through the pile I got, the shorter they got. I've now decided to start and do it in reverse so that by the time I get to the end of my pile, I'm encouraged and not disheartened. You're going to get to know an awful lot about me this morning. I'm, I'm laying it bare. I'm just going to go there for it. But I love a section. I'm into language and picking language apart with all the things that I have to tick and acknowledge within a piece of writing. But I love a section of writing that starts with therefore, because it means that whatever came before it is good and worth taking notice of. James spoke last week on the whole lot of men and women of faith in chapter 11. I was out with the kids and missed it and had a quick chat with him because a couple of you had come to me and said, he set you up for next week. I better know what he set me up with. I better make sure that what he's told them I'm going to be speaking on is actually in this preach. So yeah, okay. And he very graciously gave me his copy of his notes so I could just go away and read them. I'm really glad and grateful that he managed to curb some of what he was going to say. Because if he'd carried on, there'd been nothing left for me to say this week because he got so excited in his preparation about all these men and women and what it would have meant for them. I get that, I get that good bit. But James has set me up beautifully. So back to the passage. Therefore, because we have these amazing men and women of faith that have gone before us and set us up so well, let us throw off everything that hinders us. One of the members of uh, staff at school has started up her own personal trainer business. Many of the staff have decided to join her circuits group and the lunchtime talk is about what they can and can't eat because Sam will know, not Sam, a different Sam. And what Sam will know because of what goes into that training session. And for those that aren't doing the circuits, non-such 5K run is the place to be. I cannot think of 
anything worse. <laughs> I'm one of the staff. Yeah, I'll have that biscuit. Oh, donuts, great. Chocolate, great. I'm not going to be ruled while I eat. I need to do more exercise. I know that. But, no, thank you. Running is probably the worst form of exercise. No, not going to do it. And yet, I love watching the athletics. 2012, one of the few things we actually got tickets to go and see at the Olympics was the athletics. I love the Olympics, the European Championships, the World Championships, and even the Diamond League when I remember it's on. But one of my favorite days is the London Marathon. It always amazes me when you see people from about February, March time pounding the streets. You know they, that's what they're training for. Kieran, you have my utmost respect for what you put your body through to get just a medal to say that you've accomplished it. I'm sure that's worth it. Katie, again. No, please come and talk to me after I'll pray with you. But no, but the amount of effort that people put in. But when I was thinking about it in connection to this, I started thinking about those costumes. So I looked up some record-breaking costumes. Now, the top left, as you're looking at it, are five people. They are one of the slowest record-breakers. But these Fab Five dressed as Scooby-Doo's Mystery Machine and completed the London Marathon in six hours, 17 minutes to become the fastest marathon runners ever in a five-person costume. Rebecca Caesar Dessar was the quickest female runner dressed as Wonder Woman in three hours, 15, uh, three hours 16 um, one I couldn't find a picture of, but I thought I want to see, is the fastest marathon dressed as a tent. He achieved, this is achieved by Oscar White at three hours 57. Michelle Frost was the fastest marathon in stilts at six hours, 37 minutes. But my favourite has got to be the guy at the bottom. Oliver Hill was the fastest marathon dressed as a whoopee cushion at three hours, 20 minutes. Now, you'll see there's another costume up there. And this, to me, encapsulates everything about today. He took on the cross so that we could take off all that hinders us. He put on that cross and as I go through the rest of this preach, I want you to think about that picture and just what he did for us and what he carries for us so that we don't have to is kind of, for me, summed up of a guy running a marathon barefoot as Jesus carrying the cross. Trying to run in any of these costumes would only make the run harder and more uncomfortable. It doesn't matter how fun that costume is. When we insist on carrying sinful habits and lifestyles that, to be honest, some of us might actually enjoy the results of, but they're sinful, it only makes life more difficult Instead, we're encouraged in this passage in Hebrews to throw off everything 
that hinders us and entangles us. So my encouragement, the R of trust, remove the excess baggage of anything that will hinder your daily walk with the Father. The devil wants to wear us down with setbacks and persecutions and disappointments. But Colin Jackson, another athlete, Olympic athlete I have huge respect for, is famous for the 110 meter hurdles. And he takes those hurdles in his stride, jumping straight over them one at a time, not trying to run straight through them or ignoring that they're there. Because if you ignore that they're there, it hurts more. He faces them. He trains for them. He is disciplined in his training to learn how to jump them properly. When we train our minds and hearts in the ways of God, we become more aware of the hurdles that are not from him. We can deal with the enemy through the name and the power of Jesus. And the Bible tells us at that, the enemy will scatter. We're encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus, on the Father's love, and be part of a team running the same race. To take off all that would stop us from running freely, the race set before us. There is no way an Olympic athlete would wear a suit or a costume. That would be a complete and utter waste of their training. So why do we insist on carrying baggage around that weighs us down and stops us from being effective in our faith? When we give these things over to God, he sets us free from the guilt and shame that go with them and our hearts are free so that we can fly. One of my favourite songs that we sing is I am chosen, I am free. Nathan calls it a mummy song because I'll use it often when I'm leading But part of the chorus is this, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I'm alive to live for you. And I know that I can sing that with confidence because he has set me free. The liberation and the freedom that comes from giving over the things that have held me back is one of those main purposes that Jesus went to the cross for. My debt is cancelled I can walk free. Chains of the prisoners are loosed. We can walk free. The foulest snare is released and we can walk free. It's then that we can run with perseverance the race marked out before us. James last week made a parallel between perseverance and patience. Sometimes God calls us to walk a road that needs patience. Waiting on God is one of the main themes in Romans 5, verses 2 to 5. The New Living Translation puts it like this. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. You may be more familiar with the NIV version. 
Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Perseverance and endurance are both descriptions of how we're to approach suffering, problems and trials. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the middle of a problem, my immediate response is not to rejoice because of the way my character is going to be developed as a result. But the you of trust is to develop an understanding that perseverance develops our character. When we have a bigger picture of what is going on, when we can see God's purposes in what is going on, it may not change the situation, but it gives us a hope that this is not forever and we can move on one day from where we are currently. The younger version of me, so when I was really young, thank you, John, spent many hours in prayer asking God, why? Why have you not healed? Why did you not intervene? Why did that person do that again? Why can I not get through this? But halfway through last year, I had a revelation. It doesn't happen very often, so I make the most of it when it does. I realized that asking why about certain situations was futile and I was probably never going to get an answer this side of eternity. So I changed my question. If any of you have ever had a toddler in the house where the only two words they know, why and no, you'll stand with me in relief when they discover another word or question. Unless, of course, that question is how. The question I started to ask instead of why were these. What do you want me to show about your character through this situation? And what can I learn about myself through this situation? And when I stopped asking God why and started asking those questions, I felt I got more answers because it was there. Romans 5 says that character is developed through persevering. As our character develops, so does our hope that we have in our salvation. There is a deep understanding that comes. I don't have a lot of patience. I'm a person that reads the last chapter of the book before I begin because I want to know how it will end. The fun for me is predicting how to get to the solution, not what the solution will be. I know at the end of my race, I will be stood before God, my saviour, in his presence. I know the end of this race. The fun and the adventure is what's going to happen between now and getting to the end. Fun, not always, but it is an adventure. There will always be challenges to face in the adventure of life. One time, for those... um, I lived in uh, the Philippines for a a couple of years and I was setting up a Bible school. And one time there was no money um, for the the school. Um, That meant there was no food to feed the students. There was no transport. Um, We had enough money to get us to the church that we were ministering at on the Sunday, but not to get us home. 
There were problems with international banking. And when I'd gone to the bank, they said, we're really sorry, but it, it won't happen. And it won't happen before Monday. And obviously, we needed to get to and from the church on Sunday. So I had to ask the students to stand with me and pray. But I had no choice but to leave it with God. I couldn't answer my own prayer. And this was an important lesson in trust. So often when life gets tough, we pray. And then me, I'm talking to me. And if any of you can say amen, please do. But immediately, as soon as I finish saying my prayer, I will go about setting about to answer my own prayer because that's my job. I'm capable. I'm told constantly, you're capable, Michaela. Yes. But it's a lesson in the fact that I'm not God. That some things I have to leave with him. That's not perseverance. It's not faith. It's not trust. It's me playing God. When things don't work out, when we expect them to. Well, I prayed and asked you to do this or that. But you didn't answer. No, he didn't because I'd taken the reins straight back. Just on the end of that story, we went to the church. We got the bus and it would have been a, a four-hour walk home from the church. And we were prepared to do that. That was okay. I'll walk. I won't run. God spoke directly to the church leader before we'd even gone that morning and said that that morning he needed to take up three offerings. The first offering was for them as a church to do what they needed to do in ministry within the church. The second offering was for the Bible school. And the third offering was for me personally. This was a rural church with not a lot of money, but God provided through this group of very generous people for us not to only get home, but for me to be able to go to market and get the food we needed for that week and for me to be able to get back into town so that I could get the money from the bank when it had finally arrived. That was out of my control and it was something that I had to leave with God. It was probably... The reason I remember it is because it was such a humbling situation too. Phil Moore in his book on Hebrews says that anyone can start following Jesus, but what matters is whether we keep on running. Some things will slow us down like disappointments and discouragements, but they're part and parcel of running against the tide in a world that is in rebellion against Jesus. This is equivalent to trying to run a marathon in a gorilla suit. The Holy Spirit urges us to take it off, to run unhindered, but it's time to run. Run as a team. It's time to be part of that great cloud of witnesses and to be encouraged to follow in their footsteps. When we look at Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, we see that there are two sides. Step one is talking about Jesus himself. He is the pioneer and finished article of faith. He started the faith and has already finished the race and we have to follow in his footsteps. But step two is about us. He was the author and perfecter of our faith. He took the initiative to save us and therefore commits himself to sustain us until we have finished the entire course. As we think about Jesus going through all of this, we need to remember he was initially there because of the opposition that had been given to him by the fellow religious leaders. They were the ones who caused the problems. Why did he put up with it? Because he knew the big picture. He knew the end result. He knew that without him doing that, you and I would be lost for eternity. And so would our salvation. That is why he did it. 
Jesus kept going even through the agony of the cross. He considered the pain of being despised, which was nothing in comparison to the joy of reaching the finish line and fulfilling the Father's plan. We're encouraged to remember that he went through this to give us hope and build us up. He sustains, he encourages, he gives us breath to keep going in the times when breathing is just about the only thing we can do. And even then we have to remind ourselves to do it. Over Christmas, I started thinking about this time because I had the time to think about it. And I was following the Tear Fund Advent calendar through December. And this poem was on Christmas Day, uh, Christmas Eve. Stop. Do you not know? Life doesn't have to be this way. Something new can be born in your heart today. Listen, have you not heard... Your whole being sings the love song of Christ. This world is drenched in the wonder of his light. Breathe. Will you accept it? You can let your striving fall away. Let it dissolve into beauty and grace. Open your eyes. Can you see it? You have nothing to prove, nothing to fear. God is with us. Heaven is here. Another place I got inspiration from was when our family went to see Star Wars on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve was a good day of inspiration. If you're running the race, things are getting tough, the enemy will do everything in his power to isolate you. In the movie, Landau Calrissian, who was one of the original characters, says this, they win by making you feel you are on your own. I instantly got my phone out and typed it. That will come in handy. That's a sermon quote if ever I've heard one. Because instantly I was taken back to what the enemy does to us. He's talking about the enemy isolating them in battle. But that's no different from us. If you feel you're in a difficult situation where times are tough, and you feel like your character can't be stretched any further, get people you trust around you. Share with them. We feel at our lowest when we feel we're on our own and no one will understand. That is a lie from the enemy. That is exactly how he wants you to feel. That is what he did to Jesus in the desert. Jesus was alone. Satan tempted him when he was at his lowest point with lies. And he does the same to us. We have been in a battle recently over Jacob's mind. He's really struggled since starting high school with loneliness, saying he's got no friends. And we've had to spend a lot of time reassuring him that he's not alone. And that's what the enemy wants him to think. It makes him ineffective as a Christian in school. We're still in this battle. Things are getting slightly better. He's found people he can talk to. But we will continue to fight as I think the enemy makes us, many of us, ineffective as Christians because we believe his whispers. These first verses remind us that although he wasn't easy for Jesus to endure, he is victorious and now sat at the right hand of the Father in complete victory. The last bit of inspiration I got over Christmas was the Netflix documentary about Andy Murray called Resurfacing. 
In an interview, he talked about having the cameras with him constantly over a two-year period whilst he had his hip replacement done. It was the most challenging time of his life. And the biggest problem he had was that naturally he's a private person and now everything is being filmed and documented. But it made him vulnerable and exposed. And yet that what helped him face the challenges and reach out was the fact that he couldn't have done it behind closed doors on his own. Here was a celebrity saying that the best way to face life's challenges is to open up, to be vulnerable and to face challenges with others. The second of today's passages is a continuation verses 4 to 11 in Hebrews 12. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as the father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined and we respect them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? Then discipline, they disciplined us for the little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Over the years of being a teacher, I have built a reputation for being strict. There are certain things I expect in my classroom, whatever the age or ability of the child, whether they're special needs or gifted and talented. The things I want is respect for me, respect for the support staff that are in the classroom, and respect for each other. Basic manners of please and thank you, looking after the property and giving me their best in the classroom. I don't think that's too much to ask. Yes, well, I've lost count over the years how many times parents have said to me, I'm so glad they've got you. They need discipline and you're good for that. We knew they wouldn't get away with anything in your class. By Christmas, so many of the kids say, you're not as bad as we thought you were. You can even be fun. My response is usually something along the lines of, shh, don't tell anybody else. In the other classes, because they'll all want to be in here, and this class is just for the special ones. I don't want my reputation ruined by people realising I'm a big softie, really. But every year, once we know which year group we're going to be in, I can usually work out which class is going to be mine. The behaviour-challenged ones. At first, I'd get really upset about it. But a few years ago, the head came to me and said, the reason I get the classes is once they've learned to behave, they can learn. If they can't behave, they can't learn. And once they can learn, they can grow. And some even learn to fly in areas we didn't even know. That's the beauty of discipline. It brings freedom. And that's the same for us. When we learn to walk the path that God has set before us, when we learn the biblical disciplines, we then can learn 
And once we can learn, we can fly. In our society, discipline is something people are scared of. Parents are scared of it. Well, what if they don't do what I want them to do? My parents beat me or strapped me or slippered me. It didn't hurt me. Now I can't even lay a finger on my kids because if I get me into trouble. Recently in school, my role has changed to include safeguarding of children. And more and more parents come in because they need support with parenting. Where they haven't got it right, sometimes interventions need to happen through social work teams. But part of my role is making suggestions to parents to just help them with daily structure and routines. So much of what I say to them seems to me to be common sense, but I'm discovering it's not common. When children know routines and boundaries, they flourish. Parents think boundaries will restrict relationships and yet they cause them to grow. And I can't overemphasize the importance of training our children in the way they should go. The old saying is that it takes a village to bring up a child. And I'm eternally grateful for the village of you that have helped Baldwin and I bring up our two boys. I know that they are better people because of the love and discipline that they have received from people in this room and others that are not here. Thank you. We are all better for sharing the love and responsibility. And we have a responsibility to teach and train our children. And that's one of the reasons why I felt it a real passion to take on the kids' work. Because our kids need to know the disciplines of the word. They need to know what the Bible teaches. And not just the stories, but how it then affects them on a day-to-day living. I'm not sure I can admit to this one, but one of my guilty pleasures is watching SAS Who Dares Wins on Channel 4. (laughs) Okay. For those of you that haven't seen it, this is a group of ex-SAS soldiers that train civilians and put them through routines and practices of what they would have done as part of their training. Last Sunday, it's on a Sunday evening, and last week was on unity and teamwork. Where the one falls, it lets down the whole team. But the whole thing is about discipline and perseverance to follow orders or you'll be cut. And it's brutal. That's why I love it. It's the mental state that goes with having to serve through the military forces in the way that they do. So many of the candidates struggle because for some of them, it's the first time that they've had to do things for themselves. Some might say, sometimes it might be that they've heard no for the first time. Or they've, somebody's challenged their laziness, or their attitude, or their arrogance. These are the ones that don't survive. However physically fit or well-educated they are. There are so many places where society, in society, where discipline is essential. And yet, its effectiveness and power are diminishing. And as a result, I think society is suffering. That same society is out to break down everything the Bible stands for. Discipline is a dirty word. You don't have to do that. She's only your teacher. One of the biggest problems I've got at the minute with my class is retaliation. Well, my mum and dad told me I can hit him back. But what causes the problem is where school rules and home rules don't match. Once you could say, would you do that at home? Or would you talk to your mum like that? And now, I know they're much worse at home, and I've heard the way they speak to their mum. 
God's word is full of boundaries and they are there for our protection. The times when I've known God's discipline, I've always known his great blessing out of it. When I trust he's there, he's there for me and not against me. I receive his unconditional love. His blessings are abundant. Does it mean that life is always easy and good? Well, if you know me, you'll know the answer's no. Does it mean that God is not good? Well, if you know him, you'll know the answer's no. He is always good and he is always for me. That passage is clear. He does it because he loves us. He wants the best for us. I love my boys deeply. When I've seen them on a path of destruction, I've stopped it, stepped in to protect them because I love them. I've disciplined them and corrected them so that they are protected and as a result, I believe, have become better people. If you think about it this way, speed limits are there on the roads to protect. Points and driving courses are there if you don't keep within the limits and yet people still push the boundaries. Proverbs 3 says this, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. A parent that fails to discipline, fails to love. I'm good at encouraging others with discipline, but when it comes to it for myself, I find it really difficult. And it's an area God is continuing to work in. And to take you back to New Year 1995, I was at a 2030s conference at Ashburnham. And during the worship session, God gave me a picture of the word that changed me forever. He said this. It's a picture of a, an old, dry, cracked vase. I want to break you to remould you into something that will display my glory more effectively. My nan had been ill over a period, over the Christmas period, and although I'd prayed, he didn't heal her. And as a family, we lost our linchpin but we survived. Only recently, God showed me that as a result of that time, a cloak of grief had been put over me and how I related to people dying went back to that situation. I prayed for my nan, but he didn't answer the prayer in the way I wanted him to. So I had a huge chip on my shoulder about praying for people who were seriously ill and almost died. Whenever people asked me to pray, I didn't pray for them because over a three-year period, every single person... I prayed for healing, died. That will knock anybody's confidence. But it went back to my attitude to it too. Last year, Jacob's football team played an entire season where they didn't win a single game. When I asked him if he wanted to carry on, he said, well, I'm a Kestrel. That's the name of his team. They play football on a Saturday. So whilst I'm a Kestrel, I will go and play football. I needed to learn his attitude to football about praying for the sick. I'm a Bible-believing Christian, and the Bible teaches that God is our healer and I should pray for the sick. Now, I will understand if you don't want me to pray for you if you're sick this morning. But I have learned that through Jacob's attitude to his football team, and whilst I am a Christian, then I should pray for the sick. I may, may never see anyone healed as a result of my prayers, but that doesn't change the fact that I should pray for the sick and that God is a God that heals. Above all, God's will is sovereign. God had to discipline and change my attitude and my thinking in this. God showed me through his grace and his mercy that praying for people, my attitude had been wrong for so long. Did he chastise me? No. He lovingly showed me where I'd gone wrong and redirected my heart and attitude to realign with his. 
How great is the God that he takes time and care to do that for me. God used the pain of the characters from chapter 11 to open the eyes of their sin and their false priorities. And it's shown clearly through the story of Nathan and David. When David had sinned, God sent Nathan, his prophet, to bring discipline to David. And that was hard. Phil Moore in his book continues by saying we should treat our own pain as God's invitation to step out of our gorilla suit and run with the same holiness as Jesus. Life is more serious than a charity fun run. It costs Jesus his life. We're called to follow him, which will take spiritual discipline and training. The S of trust, surrender to him, including his discipline. And this will bring freedom and understanding of his complete and unconditional love for you. You can learn a lot about someone by what they read and watch, and you may have learned a lot about me this morning. But as I draw things to a close, I want to talk about two things I've read recently. For about two years, the only books I read dealt with pain and disappointment. And then I started reading a series of um, Christian fiction called Sensible Shoes. It's about four women. I thought, great, a series of fiction, encouragement, time out books, escape. Well, spoiler alert, if you've not read them, they're worth it. But one of the main characters goes through an incredibly difficult time. And it was reflected at the same time in my own family. I then started having a go at God. Why did you let that happen? You know I've been having a tough time dealing with things. Why did you let that happen in the book? Can't I even have a break and read a nice book? Yes, I have the audacity to speak to God like that. Because he wants to hear our frustrations and our pain. God reminded me that he didn't make me read the book, that real life sucks sometimes, and this was just reflected in the book. Eventually, I finished reading the four books, and they were really helpful in helping me work through some of the baggage I'd not dealt with, especially to do with the disappointments of Baldwin sisters not being healed from breast cancer. He used them to bring healing by keeping my eyes on him, not blaming him for the tough times, but trusting as he walked me, with me through them. He is a good God all the time and he is faithful to complete the work of healing that he has begun in me. Last night I was reading this as if I was doing it to you this morning and Jacob walked into the room and the first line he heard was my next line. I am hard work to live with sometimes. I won't tell you what his response was. But God doesn't give up on us, however hard we are to live with. He just keeps loving us and drawing us. The secret to keep on going is where we started this morning with trust. Trusting that no matter what, all things will work together for good. Does it mean that life will always be good? No, I think we've established that already. But God is good and good will come from the plans that he has for you. The final T in trust. Time with him through prayer and worship brings healing. When you've got nowhere else to go, go to the word and go to him. Two book recommendations for you this morning. God Amongst the Ruins by Maggie Duggan and Through the Eyes of a Lion by Levi Lusco. It's from this second book. Both talk about God supporting us and helping us and walking through us in difficult times. This tore me apart as I read it. It's a church leader who's 
daughter had an asthma attack and didn't survive five days before Christmas. And I'm not saying anything here that's not on the book cover, so there are no spoiler alerts there. But it's how he and his family and the whole church walk through that. But this comes from, this quote comes from this. This is why it's crucial for you to see that we don't need to put on a nice face in our pain or hurry people through the process that can't be rushed. The fact that our sadness doesn't go away makes our triumph even more powerful. Our faith works but in the fire, not just when life is fun. We can be hard-pressed and yet not crushed, struck down yet not destroyed, not because we know the general facts about the resurrection or that there's a heaven, but because we trust in the one who said that he is the resurrection and the life. He took the keys from death and hell. He was dead and now he lives forever. His name is Jesus and he always leads us in triumph. I want to finish with a final thought of encouragement. In the moment that Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it's hard to think that this is the moment that would lead to martyrdom of all but one of the men he's talking to. Jesus never promises them or us an easy life, but he does promise never to leave our side. We usually want God to airlift us out of a problem, but more often though, he parachutes in and joins us in the midst. As we trust the Father that loves us enough to bring boundaries and discipline, let us remember that he has walked the path of pain and difficulty and come through with compassion. As I was preparing, there were three things I felt God wanted us to pray for this morning. Some of you are going through a tough time and you just need encouragement to continue to persevere, to keep running the race. Another group are weary and lost. It came out in Sam's word right at the beginning of worship. Come to the one who knows. And the third group, some of you may have found it difficult for that second passage in Hebrews that I read where it talks about the Father loving out of discipline and us respecting. It may be that your experience of the Father's discipline isn't what it should have been, but he wants to come this morning and he wants to heal that pain and that hurt. I'm asked Mike if we can sing Oceans. Can you just put the words to the bridge up, please, Sam? Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. That's the kind of trust God wants us to have this morning, where we trust him without borders to persevere, to keep running the race, and to stand with each other when we're finding it tough.